Thanks, Maya. Where are our baptizees? Where are they? Uh, I saw them come back in. There's Riley. He's got his hoodie on. He's trying to stay incognito. Um, where are the other ones? Where's Maddie? Maddie's just there in front. And where's James? I want to eyeball you. James, where are you? He's run away. Oh, he's getting changed. Okay. Okay. Hope. He's doing his hair. Takes a while. Uh, <laughs> awesome. How good is it to see young people giving their lives to Jesus? That's so cool. Um, I think it's cool. There's no, you know, there's no like age limit in the Bible. It's like, oh, just for the record, we had an 11, a 12, and a 13-year-old today um, getting baptized. And I think it's more about an understanding of the significance of, of um, following Jesus, of what it means to be a Christian and to, to give your life. And this is just really a public declaration of their, of their faith. And so each of them feels that they've been able to do that. And you heard that before um, when they testified to that. So, so good. It's so exciting. And uh, I, I actually want to speak on, thanks, um, Husey, you can grab a seat. I want to speak on baptism this morning. And I wanted uh, those three to be in the room to us because I think um, there's things that we can learn from um, Jesus' baptism as well. So if you've got a Bible with you, um, the baptism of Jesus is in all the Gospels, but we're going to look at it from Matthew. So Matthew 3, uh, if you haven't got your Bible, we will have it on the screen for you. Starting in verse 13, says this, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, him, I am well pleased. It's a beautiful passage and uh, an amazing image. And I just want to break it down a little bit uh, for you this morning. So, because there's, there's heaps of imagery, there's heaps of um, depth to this that we might not perhaps be realizing on first reading. So in verse 13, it says that Jesus came to the Jordan to be baptized. And there's actually huge significance in that. The Jordan River was the boundary of, uh, that the people of Israel crossed over to enter into their promised land. So they came out of slavery from Egypt and they crossed the, the, uh, the Red Sea to do that. But then they were in a wilderness for 40 years. So they'd come out of slavery, but they hadn't fully entered into the promised land. And the Jordan River was, was the, the river that actually parted before them, just like the Red Sea, so that they could cross over into the promises of God. And so it's very significant that Jesus is being baptized in the River Jordan because of what that means for the people of Israel. There's a sense of of crossing over and of bringing in the kingdom of God, bringing in the fullness of the promise, bringing in the the, the sense of of entering a, a promised land. Because Jesus, to this point, he's kind of been in a bit of a wilderness. He's been 30 years on the earth, but no one really knows who he is. He's just kind of a carpenter. And from his baptism... It all begins, and in three years, he turns the world upside down, and he changes the course of history. But it's from that moment when he is baptized, when the Holy Spirit comes upon him, that it all begins. And it's interesting that while he was kind of in a, uh, I guess, a, um, a metaphorical wilderness, and no one knew about him, 
um, before us. He goes into the wilderness and, and where he wanders around for, for 40 days and, and the devil comes and tempts him. And uh, yeah, so there's, there's, this, there's this image here. And I just want my baptizers to be aware that um, off the back of being baptized, it's not all going to be roses. Uh, in fact, often what happens is that God will then lead you into a place of testing. He'll lead you into a place of, okay, you've made this statement of faith for me. Now, are you really going to follow through? And, uh, and I just want you to be aware of that as you head into it. Because uh, baptism is really just the beginning, or it's a step, I guess. Salvation is the beginning, but baptism is just a, a step in your journey. And there's a whole lot of other steps and a whole lot of other challenges that will come in that journey. So there's this amazing image of crossing the Jordan, of, of going into the water and coming out. And, but it's interesting, in verse 14, John seeks to deter Jesus. He says, why are you baptizing me? Um, and Jesus responds, it's proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Or another version says um, that the righteous ordinance may be fulfilled. And, and it's really, it's, it's harking back to the Old Testament idea of a high priest. So the high priest in Israel was uh, the person who um, basically atoned for all the sins of the Israelites. They would go into the Holy of Holies, into the, the temple of God, and they would make offerings on behalf of the people so that they could be in right standing with God. And the high priest entered into his role through being washed. This picture of him being washed and anointed by the Holy Spirit and entering into this role as the great high priest who makes atonement for all the sin of all the people for all time. So there's this beautiful picture of that happening. And it's a moment of great significance for Jesus, and it's a moment of great significance for, for you guys, although you're not going to become high priests all of a sudden, um, and we're not going to give you fancy robes and things, but there is a sense that you're re relating to or you're identifying yourself with the high priest, with Jesus, who takes away your sin and removes all judgment from your life. And so, yeah, you have right standing now because of what Jesus did. He is baptized. He comes up out of the water, and we have this beautiful picture. Heaven is opened, and it says he saw the Spirit of God alighting or coming upon him like a dove. And that's significant. It's a significant image. Uh, it actually says, as he was praying, as Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit came and alighted on him as a dove. And I would say to you guys, if you want more of God and the Holy Spirit in your life, it comes through that place of prayer. It comes through that hungering after him in that quiet, hidden place. But the imagery is beautiful. It's a dove. So the dove in the, in the Old Testament, again, it represents peace. And if you read the... The, the, the book of Genesis and the great flood in, in Genesis 8, it's a dove that, that Noah sends out and that comes back with an olive branch. And then he sends it out again and it comes back with nothing, signifying that the water has gone down. And so there's a sense that there's a new world being ushered in. And this dove coming in is like there's a, there's a new world, a new beginning being ushered in for your lives. You're being washed clean like the earth was after the flood. And even as you went under the water and came out, there's a washing that's going on, that you are a new creation. 
And then there's this beautiful line, and this is where I really want to focus on this morning. It says in verse 17, And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So there's three things that God the Father says to Jesus at his baptism. And there's three things I believe God wants to say to you guys at your baptism, and actually that he wants to say to all of us this morning. And the first one is this, this is my son, or this is my daughter. Before anything else, we're defined by who, but by whose we are. And while we all, we all have earthly parents, they're not always everything that they should be. As a parent, I can admit to this, that even, even the best parents makes mistakes and will fall short, but not God. He is the parent. He is the one who defines us. I love in, in Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6, it says this, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God and is in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. I love that idea. It doesn't matter what your earthly family is like. Family. You are his. You are his son. You are his daughter. Whether you feel like it or not, that it speaks to our identity. It speaks deep to the core of who we are, that we're not defined by by what we do, but by whose we are. So we're not defined by our career. We're not defined by our gender. We're not defined by our race or our ethnicity. We're not defined by our social standing. We're not defined by our friendship groups. We're not defined by what school we go to or, or uh, what we're good at. We're not defined by the fact we like sport or music or academics. We're not defined by our past. We're not defined by our present. We're not defined by our future. We're defined by God as our Father. We are His children. Just let that sink in for a moment, that idea that I am a child of God. The cool thing about being a child is that you get an inheritance. (laughs) And you get an inheritance now as a child of God. It's not just an inheritance off in the future, but it's an inheritance right now. Here and now, you are a prince or a princess of the kingdom. And you have full access. We just did a, a series. We have full access to all that God has for us. So is this. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. I wish they didn't put that bit on the end. (laughs) We are heirs of God's glory. There is a rich inheritance for us, although there is also an inheritance of suffering. I love that idea that we call him Abba, Father. Father in a more intimate way. This is like God at Dad or, or Daddy or Papa. God is our Dad in an intimate sense. He's not a distant, angry God looking down and judging us. No, he's a Dad who puts his arm around us and loves us. We are defined by that relationship. 
that we have Abba, Father, Papa, Dad. And he calls us son, he calls us daughter. So that's the first thing that, that Jesus has God say to him. And that's the first thing that I, I think when you're baptized, that God says to you, you are my child, you are my son, you are I love. God loves you. And I think we sometimes, we get a bit trite with that idea. We think, oh, it's just a Sunday school idea. I've heard it a million times. God loves me. Yeah, Jesus loves me. Lovely. Uh, but it's actually something that is deep within the heart of our faith. And we need to revisit and realize afresh. Because it was true for Jesus in this moment. And it was true for Jesus when he hung on a cross three years later. And that blows my mind, that, that God loved him as much then as he did there. It, it doesn't matter what your circumstances look like. God loves you. It's easy to feel God's love on your baptism day, right? It's easy to feel something of, you know, all your friends, your family surrounding and supporting you. And yeah, God, God does love me. But what about when you're far from that space? When this is a distant memory, and as I said before, straight after Jesus was baptized, he went into the wilderness, and he, was, he faced great temptation. He was, the Bible says, just a bit of an understatement, he was hungry. Well, 40 days without food, you would be. Um, and, and Satan comes in that moment, and he tempts him in three different ways, and we won't go into it now, but there's a, there's a, there's a real sense that Jesus had to hold to that promise. I reckon those, those words that God the Father spoke to him in that moment helped him to resist the temptation that he faced in the wilderness. And just that idea that God loves me. God loves me. Doesn't matter what my friends are saying. It doesn't matter what the world is saying. Doesn't matter what's going on in my life. Doesn't matter the rejection I might feel from other people around me. God loves me me because the truth is that you're going to face there will be hardship in life it's not a matter of if but when and in those moments it's that simple truth that i think we need to hold on to when you don't feel it because it's not about feelings you know you can feel loved and that's a that's a nice feeling but there's a deeper truth that even when you don't feel it he still loves you and that needs to hold you. You are my child whom I love. I love this verse in Romans 8, 38 and 39. It says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is amazing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing you do, nothing the world throws at you can separate you from the love of God. And then finally, God the Father says to His Son as He comes up out of baptism, water. He says, with him I am well pleased. 
with you, Maddie, with you, Riley, with you, James, wherever you are, <laughs> I am well pleased. And I could name every one of you in this place. Because here's the thing that blows my mind. God is saying this to Jesus before he's done anything. Before he's achieved anything. You guys might go, well, I, I haven't had time to achieve anything. I'm only 11, 12, 13. Uh, that's not the point. Jesus was 30. And he hadn't done anything. He hadn't done any healings. He hadn't preached to amazing numbers of people. He hadn't fed thousands of people. He hadn't walked on water. He didn't any of that stuff. And yet God is saying, I'm well pleased with you. And you think, well, what, what, are, you, what are you pleased about, God? What, what is it? Oh, it's just who he is. And God is pleased with you just for who you are. You don't have to do anything to earn his favor. You are his favorite already. Already. My kids are all my favorites. If any of them are in this room, let them hear that. <laughs> Some of them might think they are. And possibly I favor them more at one time than another, depending on how well they're behaving. But they're all my favorites. I love them all equally. It's the same with God. He doesn't have a favorite son or daughter, one or the other. We are all his favorites. The crazy thing is that the world thinks that, that Christians have to do good things to earn favor with the Heavenly Father. But that couldn't be further from the truth. We don't do good things to please God. God is pleased with us already. And because he is pleased with us, we want to do things that serve him and that show him that we love him. It's just an overflow of the gratitude within our hearts and in our lives. And it's, a, it's, it, it's flipping at 180 degrees and saying, actually, I don't earn God's favor. God's favor is already on me. And out of that place, I'm going to live a life of love. I'm going to live a life that, that honors him, that follows him. And so today, Maddie and, and Riley and James, hopefully you felt something of the power of God in this moment. But even if you didn't, you're still his child. He still loves you. And it's not so much about feelings as it is about the truth that I've just been telling you now. The truth that I want you to hold on to all your lives is that you are his child, that he loves you, and that he's well pleased with you. God the Father tells us to Jesus at his baptism, he's saying it to you as well at yours. And for the rest of us, I just invite um, who's he up on keys, but the, the truth hasn't changed. I don't know how long ago your baptism might have been 50 years ago, or it might have been last year. It doesn't really matter. You might not yet have been baptized. The truth of the matter is that you are his child, whether you recognize that or not. He loves you, whether you recognize that or not. And he is pleased with you, whether you recognize it or not. So when we're finding our identity and our achievements and what we do, we need to stop and realize, actually, our identity isn't in what we do. It's in whose we are. And we need to stop and realize, actually, he loves me. 
just as I am, regardless of what I do. And when we feel we need to earn his approval, to earn his favor, we can realize and stop and realize that actually, just as I am, he's delighted with me. He is delighted with you. And I actually, I want to give an opportunity in this moment for us to respond to that idea, to respond to that, that amazing blessing of God over Jesus because He speaks that over us. And I think sometimes we just need to open our hearts and receive it. So I just want to encourage everybody to stand to your feet in this moment. I want to give you an opportunity to receive that love and that approval from God the Father. You don't have to jump in the baptism pool to do it. We can do that. We can baptize some more people. I'm open to that. But actually in this moment, God wants to do something significant. I really believe that. There's a sense, you know, I, I talked about how they crossed the Jordan River. Well, first of all, they had to come out of slavery. And actually coming out of slavery is, is in essence what I'm talking about right in this moment. It's that, it's that point of salvation. It's that point of going, you know what, I've been a slave. What, what do you mean? You go, well, what have I been a slave to? I've been a slave to a sin. I've been a slave to my own desires. I've been a slave to, to anxiety, to fear, to all of those things in my life that are my, my own desire to achieve. We can be a slave to so many things. The amazing thing that Jesus does is He comes in and He, and he, he deals with that. He says, you don't no longer have to be a slave to fear. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. You no longer have to be a slave to ambition or to the things that the world tell you. You can come into relationship with me and I will set you free from that slavery. And you can come into freedom in God. You can come into identity, being identified by His love, by His call, by His delighting over you. And so just with every eye closed and head bowed in this place. If you're here this morning, you you recognize, yeah, you know what? I've been, what other people tell me I should do. I've been a slave to my own sin. I've been a slave to to whatever it is. I want to be free this morning. If that's you, just raise your hand and I'll see it. You can put it down and then we will all pray together. I see that hand right now. That's awesome. Anyone else? Come on, I know God wants to do something significant. In this moment, there's one hand already. I believe there's some more. I'm going to give you a bit of space. Yep, there's another hand up the back there. That's awesome. That's awesome. Three hands. That's great. I'm giving you some space because this is a significant work that God wants to do. I don't want to, I don't want to not see someone walk into freedom because we didn't take this time. Anyone else? Chances are your heart will be beating and you'll be feeling torn in this moment because there's a battle going on. There's a battle between dark and light in your heart. There's a battle going on. Come on. (laughs) Dare I say it? Walk into the light. Follow the light in this moment. Awesome. Hey, what we're going to do is we're going to pray with those three people out loud together. 
as a statement of faith, crossing over from slavery into freedom. So just repeat after me. Dear God, I come to you today and I admit my slavery. I admit my need for you. Come, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and all that holds me back. I and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Come on, let's put our hands together. That is so cool. That is, that is amazing. And I want to I wanna chat with each of those three people after the service just to, to talk through that decision because just like baptism is a step, this is just the first step on a journey. And it's a significant step, but it's just a step. And how many of you know, if you want to get to a place, you don't just take one step and stop. You've got to keep walking. And I want to help. I'm going to give you some tools to, to start walking along that journey. So I'd love to chat with you afterwards. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to hand back to Maya and uh, be blessed. That's great. That was a good word. Let's give him a round of applause. It's so true. Like, I'm, I'm never going to quit saying, God, I need you. I'm never, because it's always going to be true. And I'm never going to quit saying, God, I choose you. And he is never going to quit saying to me, may I love you. And those are the truths that I'm going to found my life on. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Uh, if you would love prayer after the service, then that is always available. Um, yeah, just come down the front. Someone would love to pray for you. If you're a visitor here today, make sure you stick around. Uh, we've got free coffees. If you're a visitor, make sure you get yourself a card, get some clips, and have a coffee because it makes everything better. We do like non-caffeinated beverages as well, but if that's your thing. Uh, we're going to finish with a song. And, um, yeah, make sure you congratulate our baptizees because it's super exciting as a church family to celebrate this together. Okay, be blessed. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thanks, man. Cool, let's go. Praise Jesus, man. So good. So good.